Our partners in the good food movement rock. Thanks to Annie's, Cascadian Farm, Moss Adams, Nature's Path, Rhythm Superfoods, Terra Via, and Watson for leading the way to a healthier tomorrow. There's an old story still being told in food. But there are so many inspiring people who refuse to accept this single story and are writing another for the next decade in food. Welcome to the Feeding the Good Food Future podcast. We're happy you're here to join the movement. One of my favorite comedians of all time, Jim Gaffigan, once said, Bits of bacon are like the fairy dust of the food community. But once you put bacon in a salad, it's no longer a salad. It just becomes a game of find the bacon and the lettuce. Given the hundreds of websites, blogs, t-shirts, toys, and even coloring books that sing the praises of bacon, it's clear that Americans love eating meat. While global demand for meat is on the rise, we consume more meat than much of the world. The average American now eats roughly 193 pounds of pork, beef, and chicken annually. Let that sink in. That's nearly four pounds per week per person. Yes, eating animals can certainly deliver a powerful protein punch, but they are incredibly inefficient calorie for calorie, especially when it comes to that quintessential all-American food, the burger. It takes over 36,000 calories of feed to produce just 1,000 calories of beef. That's the equivalent of a 12-ounce steak, which, okay, that's a huge serving of steak, but one that's on a lot of menus. That said, more shoppers are purchasing plant-based foods, which include vegan sources of meat, milk, yogurt, cheese, cream, and snacks produced with ingredients like nuts, legumes, and other types of fruits and vegetables. This industry for meat and dairy alternatives has reached $3.5 billion. Yes, that is billion with a B. Choosing more vegetarian and vegan options is fantastic for our earth and for our health. But today, we'll focus on the growing group of manufacturers and ingredient suppliers who are inviting consumers to a dietary dance of disgust or a dance of delight. We're talking, of course, about insects. Why are we talking about insects? <laughs> well, for one, raising insects for food saves a ton of water. At New Hope's Escobona Food Conference in Austin earlier this year, Pat Crowley, co-founder of edible insect company Chapool, explained why eating insects is important. So my motivation for trying to incorporate insects into our, our food supply came from what I call an orbital view of the planet. I was working as a hydrologist and agricultural water planner and I'm looking intimately at our overconsumption of very finite resources for, to, that go into our food system. And um, from that lens is when I stumbled upon insects as a, a very uh, environmentally friendly, very efficient, uh, non-consumptive in comparison to a lot of our protein sources. Um, uh, increasing the diversity of our food supply as a scientist, I'm, I'm very adamant about increasing diversity as a form of health uh, across the board. And so w through that frame, it, it became evident that the only reason we don't have insects is for cultural reasons. And 
In this episode of Feeding the Good Food Future podcast, we'll explore the daring renegades who are shifting our perception of sustainable food by making edible insects, crickets, mealworms, what have you, tasty, readily available, cost-effective, and even covetable to have on our plates. I'm Jenna Blumenfeld, Senior Food Editor for New Hope Network. Let's dig in. Hi, Jenna. Hey, Jessica. What's up? I'm excited. I'm excited to try some Cricut products. Yeah, so we are here with Jessica Rubino. She is the content marketing director at New Hope Network, and we're psyched to um, put the money where our mouth is. Yeah, we want to put these products to the test. And I have you had crickets before? You know, I've tried them at trade shows before, but I've never bought them personally myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I haven't had, I haven't tried any of these types of products. I've actually had like cricket tacos before and sort of like in your face cricket products in foods and more of like the culinary environment like the whole cricket the whole cricket the whole deal okay so this that was actually sort of like the gateway for me which you would think it would be the other way around right yeah well let's break these puppies open so here i have a bar that i'll read some of the ingredients out loud um so they have dates peanuts uh, organic raw honey, and then it has some cricket flour in here too with some cocoa powder. So I'm pretty psyched to try this. What, what flavor do you have? I have dark chocolate coffee. Oh my gosh. Okay, here we go. Hmm. Well, you know, it's definitely chocolatey. Definitely chocolatey. I mean, good. it's good. It's a good bar. You would never... You would never think that there was insect in here. I mean, what no. does insect taste like, you know? Does it weird you out that it has crickets in it? A little bit. A little bit. I think we all have to overcome that a little bit. Feeding the Good Food Future partner Annie's is on a mission to bring more great-tasting organic products to more people and places than ever. Organic for every bunny. Feeding the Good Food Future partner Moss Adams supports companies not only in improving their bottom lines, but also in operating sustainable, health-focused businesses. I think what makes edible insects so compelling is that they have this ick or fear factor. While 2 billion people around the world eat insects, Americans as a whole are pretty grossed out by them. We know that edible insects are sustainable. We know that they're a great source of protein and have other nutrients. But the missing piece to this industry is in consumer acceptance. All of the benefits of edible insects don't impact anything unless people are actually eating them. And only then will the price of these products go down to make them more accessible. To better understand how Americans can overcome the mental barrier of eating insects, I caught up with Robert Nathan Allen, founder of Little Herds, an organization that educates and empowers communities to support and promote the use of insects for food and feed. Well, I would actually love to um, just jump in here and talk about those education efforts um, that you've been so de deeply involved with, especially with Little Herds. Um, sure. I remember the last time we chatted, you mentioned that you're really focusing some of your efforts on getting kids to try 
try these new foods just because they're naturally more curious about uh, <laughs> yeah, like they don't e- have eating the, anything. <laughs> the taboo ingrained. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a lot more open, and it's a great it's a great opportunity to to talk to the parents uh, in a way that is is you know more inviting and and more approachable for the parents when they see their kids eating. You know, if if their three year old or their four year old walks up to a table and, and starts chowing down on crickets <laughs> without a pause, you know, I can the parents are freaking out and I can quickly say, <laughs> no, no, it's it's okay. Look, it's healthy. Here's here's how it's healthy. It's, you know, very resource efficient. Here's how it's good for the planet. And people eat it all over the world and your kid loves it, obviously. <laughs> Imagine if Brussels sprouts was this easy. Right, and, right. You know, most of the time the parents go, Oh yeah, that does make sense. And some of them are still, you know, reticent to try. But a lot of them, after that, they go, okay, you know what, my kid, my kid obviously loves it. Let me try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's a great way to to include the entire family. It's a great way to, um, you know, help normalize that idea for the kids at a young age. Uh, in the same way that you know, people of my generation grew up with sushi being something that was becoming normal right uh, you know right. there there are there are still people who won't eat sushi what's going to make eating insects widespread what's that tipping point going to look like well we see it as, as a two-pronged approach top down and bottom up the top down approach is, is like sushi you know uh chefs who are are renowned um are, are trying it on their menu and we're seeing that with chefs like OML in DC and Jose Andres, and we're seeing that with Rene Redzipi and Noma. Even here in Austin, we're seeing chefs like Jesse Griffiths at Daidue or uh, Mark and Sam at Odd Duck, where you know people go to these restaurants and they know the food's going to be good. They trust the chef, and if the chef is going to put an insect dish in front of them, they're a lot more likely to try it than if some crazy hippie on the street says, "Here, try this bug." <laughs> so, so the consumer has that trust. And that relationship with their chef that helps break that taboo. And when they try that that insect dish prepared by the chef and they go, oh, my gosh, this is delicious. They're much more likely to be open to the idea of adding it into their own personal diet. So that's the top down approach. And in the same way that we saw sushi trickle down in normalcy through society to the point where now I can go to you know my grocery store and get sushi at any time of the day. We see that same idea happening as chefs normalize the idea for people. The reverse side of that is the bottom-up approach. And that's where the idea of abstraction is so key. The ability for us to take these insects that are that are scary for a lot of consumers when you see them in their whole form. Mm-hmm. Because it does it triggers those ingrained societal taboos. When we have the ability to abstract it and fortify our staple foods that we all know and love, like chips and cookies and crackers and breads and tortillas and pastas we can provide it provide people a way to add it to their diets that doesn't change the way it tastes it doesn't change the way it feels we're not asking them to eat any differently than they already were but all of these products are now more nutritious preparing for this taste test i was going all over town trying to find some of these cricket products and I went to so many different grocery stores and I had a really hard time finding them. Um, I think I got these ones at Sprouts. 
So do you think it just hasn't hit retail yet? Or do you think people weren't buying the products because it's just such a foreign concept to them? Or what's the deal? I think it's a little bit of both. I was talking to one retailer and she said that they did have them. It was a great idea. But when it comes down to actual sales in the aisle, they weren't they weren't seeing what they needed to see. And I think it's been interesting to see a lot of restaurants in the area actually are introducing different cricket dishes and they seem to be kind of getting a lot of press attention, a lot of media. And I think people who are a little bit more adventurous with what they'll try and trust a restaurant and trust a chef that maybe that's where it's kind of starting. And I envision that that's what will happen in a lot of communities. It may start in the culinary scene and then kind of move into retail. Yeah. And a lot of people go out to dinner just to have that adventurous eating experience and try something that they've never tried before. Feeding the good food future partner, Nature's Path, looks forward to many more years of creating delicious organic food and working together to leave the earth better than they found it. Feeding the good food future partner, Rhythm Superfoods, wants to bring plant-based superfood snacking to all through its delicious snacks like kale chips and beet chips. There are dozens of food companies that are incorporating sustainable crickets or mealworms into their product formulations. As the edible insect industry is such a new category, the supply chain for safe, efficiently raised insects has skyrocketed. To shed light on the supply challenges of edible insects, we turn to Muhammad Ashour, co-founder and CEO of Aspire Food Group. Ashore and his colleagues raise food-grade insects on a commercial scale and are actively working to normalize the consumption of insects in the Western world. And here's a fun fact. Aspire was actually founded after winning the coveted business award, the Holt Prize, which awards $1 million in seed capital to create and launch the most compelling social business ideas, startup enterprises that tackle grave issues faced by billions of people. A very big factor that we identified that contributes tremendously to the cost is both a ton of manual labor that's involved in the process as well as a lack of very clear understanding about how to optimally deliver inputs to insects throughout their life cycles to really optimize um, you know, their production. So one of the things that's critical for us or two of the things that are critical to drive that for us are number one having a really solid digitization strategy with respect to data just genuinely collecting data and I'm not talking like you know fluff data big data and using buzzwords for the sake of buzzwords I'm saying it's nobody has ever in any formal sense looked at you know the farming and cultivation of insects and thought how do we better understand the precision in terms of how much water how much feed what's the ideal temperature what's the ideal humidity that's required at the different stages in a cricket's life um, so that we can maximize its survival maximize its healthiness uh, improve its nutritional outputs. And the second aspect is kind of a hardware side, which is really figuring out which aspects of that farming that are man that are very manual um, uh, intensive um, that can actually be substituted with more uh, automated and therefore more you know reliable and quality controlled processes. I mean, insects like any source of livestock or food, um, obviously, um, you know, you, you want to minimize interaction between, um, you know, individuals and the, and, 
in the livestock throughout its life cycle, both just to minimize sort of the potential introduction of, you know, one thing from batch to batch, and generally speaking, to kind of ensure a certain degree of consistency and standardization in production. Once we've done the work to get Americans on board with eating insects, a whole bunch of other benefits open up, such as alleviating food insecurity in marginalized communities, both locally and internationally. Um, Aspire started in 2013 as a response to the HALT Prize, which is um, an annual competition that's considered probably the most prestigious and most valuable business prize um, in the world at a million dollars. It's a challenge every year issued by Bill Clinton and the HALT International Business School to students from around the world to come up with a for-profit business that addresses a major global challenge. And in 2013, that challenge was food insecurity uh, around the world, and specifically in urban slums. Who can create a for-profit business that at its very core, its value proposition, is to address food insecurity and empower people around the world? And that's where we came with the the notion and initially realized that insects are consumed in 80% of the world's countries, according to the United Nations FAO, 2 billion people. And that actually, with the exception of a few countries, the United States being one of them, it's really a part and parcel of the fabric of most cultures around the world. And so demand is not an issue. It's actually a question of supply. We're going to see the consumer evolve and the products evolve over time. Uh, I think initially it'll be a more functional foods type consumer. Over time, it'll become sort of a foodie crowd. And eventually, as the prices, especially of the product come down, it'll also become the mainstream adopter because uh, we have to also not forget that currently insect protein is just insanely expensive compared to other protein alternatives, largely because, as we discussed, the process still remains very manual labor intensive and the cost of production is very high. So, you know, that family that, 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 that can only spend, you know, uh, whatever it is, 50 to $100 a week on groceries, um, who, who actually have, let's say, a, a culture, a tradition of eating insects or insect foods or who don't have any sensitivity or squeamishness uh, other than to price, uh, is, a, is, a, is a customer base we simply can't access uh, until that price comes down substantially. Feeding the Good Food Future partner Terravia harnesses the power of algae to make healthy, sustainable ingredients and specialty oils that are good for you and the planet. Feeding the Good Food Future partner Watson is committed to enhancing human health with high-quality nutritional technologies formulations, and products. Feeding the Good Food Future partner Cascadian Farm is using organic agriculture and industry partnerships to grow a healthier tomorrow. Now we're going to try some uh, chips, cricket chips. And what's in here, you would never know that there are crickets in here, by the way, at least from how they look because they have stone ground corn, uh, cricket flour, pea flour, and then barbecue seasonings and chia seeds. So you get a little bit of those omega-3s in there too. And that, more than these bars, is really playing up the bug aspect, just kind of having fun with it. Yeah, it's almost a cartoon uh, cricket on the front, and he has a very large bicep muscle. Do you see that? Strong. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Here you go. This is definitely a a first. A bug chip. A bug chip. 
They're pretty small. They're smaller than Doritos, mm. but they're triangle shaped. That's really different. I like the texture. It's so light. These, you would never ever know that there are crickets in here. It doesn't even weird me out because it's all I taste are barbecue seasonings and a delightful crunch. Ask the majority of Americans if they are willing to regularly eat insects and you'll likely get a tepid response. A lot of folks still think these products are unappetizing or too expensive. But 2016 has been good to the edible insect industry. While in 2014, just one insect protein product exhibited at Natural Products Expo West, now dozens of companies have hatched insect-containing products. In May, the first conference in the United States entirely focused on edible insects took place in Detroit. And the industry even saw the formation of its own association, the North American Edible Insect Coalition. This is clearly becoming one piece of the good food movement that has staying power, especially as more and more companies and consumers are open to thinking outside the box to support a healthier, more sustainable tomorrow. We don't just want chirping crickets. We actually want to know what you think of the edible insect industry. Let us know on Twitter with the hashtag FGFF. How are you feeding the good food future? From your healthy breakfast to the food movement happening in your community, let us know on social with the hashtag FGFF.